everyone, welcome to mini episode 139 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have six spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from August the 12th, 2021. And story number one comes from Sarah. Our dog Boyd was always an old gentleman in personality. He wouldn't have been out of place on an old portrait, majestic and staring into the distance. A few years ago, I was sexually assaulted and was spiraling into a really bad place. I moved back home from uni for the summer and hadn't told anyone what was wrong. I would just bottle it up and break down when I was alone. In this time, Boyd became really protective of me. Not aggressive, but like a quiet guardian, always there. He was a massive dog, so it was like what I imagined having a dire wolf at my side would be like. He was a calm, quiet presence and he looked after me. After I had a panic attack one day, he even walked me to bed, literally herded me there and then lay with me. I couldn't tell anyone though, because then I would face questions as to what was wrong with me. He died two years later. He had a tumour on his heart, which was restricting the blood flow, eventually causing a fatal stroke. He was put to sleep. I dealt with my PTSD and carried on with life, but PTSD never really goes away. Fast forward to last week, five years after Boyd passed away. I had a dream so vivid, it was like the assault was happening all over again. I woke up and could hear barking from outside. In my state, I just assumed it was one of the other dogs. We now have another two. So I got up, shaking and crying, to go and let Barney or Caesar back in. I didn't think at the time that it was odd for one of them to have been let out and then left outside. My mind wasn't focused enough to be that logical. I went downstairs and opened the door to the garden. Neither Barney or Caesar were outside, but I was immediately hit by a sense that Boyd was there. I could smell him and then felt the pressure of him leaning against me and his fur brushing my bare leg as he passed by me to go inside the house. The sensations were so visceral and overwhelmingly real that if I had closed my eyes, it would have seemed like Boyd was physically there. Immediately I felt calm, feeling him there just grounded me. I wasn't in that dream space anymore where that bastard was attacking me. Everything felt safe again. The more I thought about it, I realised the barking I heard definitely wasn't the yip of my spaniel or the soul-shaking bark of my bull mastiff, who only ever barks at cartoon animals on the TV. It was the proud, resonating bark of Boyd. And yeah, I could have been dreaming. But I think that would be the kind of thing that Boyd would do. I'm crying as I write this. Boyd felt me breaking and he came back to stand guard. I think the grand gent always will. Dogs and other animals have this amazing ability to understand and just sense when their owners are in distress. And to try and comfort them at any cost. And that's... I mean, it's just amazing. Like, animals are amazing anyway. But when they can sense that something isn't right with their human and they do everything they can to try and comfort them, I just think, wow. We do not give them the credit that they deserve. And it makes sense that in your time of need, he would come back and try and pull you out of that that panic and that fear. And story number two comes from Rianne. When I was a young girl, about eight years old, I had taken to sleeping on my bedroom floor because the mattress on my bed was wearing out and the springs would bother me and make it too uncomfortable to sleep on. 
so the little bit on the floor made up of blankets and pillows was preferable to my own bed. I would lie on the floor with my feet close to the door and my head close to the side of the bed. I woke up in the middle of the night and when I opened my eyes I saw an old man sitting on a chair in the doorway. I saw his features as clear as anything. It was almost as if he was outlined in a very intricate silver lining. But I think it's quite interesting to note that he was staring at me and he had a big smile on his face. I have to emphasise that this was in the middle of the night and there would have been no light from the bedroom windows or anything, but he was very clear to see in the dark. I, of course, seeing him as just a scary ghost, put my head under the blankets and eventually fell asleep like that, and probably woke up in the morning with my head still under the blankets. The next night, as you can imagine, I was afraid to go to sleep, so I armed myself with a flashlight, and again went to sleep on the floor, and again I woke up in the middle of the night but this time it was quite different. I did see an old man in the doorway, but it was definitely a different person. This man was standing. He was tall and unsmiling. So I did what any normal terrified eight-year-old would do, and I shot him with my flashlight and hid my head under the blankets and didn't come out again till morning. That was the last that I saw of elderly men in my doorway and it never happened again. But to this day, I'm convinced after many times looking at old pictures of deceased relatives who were gone long before I was born, I'm sure the first one was my father's mother's father. The second one, I believe, was on my mother's side, but I'm not sure if he was my grandmother's relation or my grandfather's relation on that side of the family. Maybe they were watching over me. Who knows? But sometimes I wish that these instances had occurred at this time of my life, because I don't think I would have been too afraid to at least say hello. How bizarre that it only happened those two times and then didn't happen again. Because it doesn't sound like anything like sleep paralysis because it sounds like you were moving around, you were aware. It wasn't like a sense of dread or a sense of fear. It was just firstly an old man that was sort of laced in, in silver watching you and then secondly an old man standing in your doorway watching you. Like maybe it was the generations of old men in your family coming in to check up on you. Maybe it was happening more often than you knew. Oh, why would I say that? That just makes it even worse. And story number three comes from Sam. This happened to both me and my dad around a year ago and since have agreed not to tell my younger brother as we both equally know it would scare him senseless. Although we do speak about it on a regular basis, but we are always cautious as to who may be listening. It was a weekday evening, a normal day like any other, it was late autumn, so it was already growing dark outside. Myself, my dad and my mother were all sat downstairs watching the television. My mum and dad both sat on the sofa while I was sat on the floor laid down next to the dog. As we were watching the television, something caught my eye at the far end of the living room. It was a large black circular mist-like anomaly that I would roughly estimate to be about 50 to 60 centimetres wide and 30 to 40 centimetres in length. It essentially appeared and manifested from complete thin air. This thing then proceeded to slowly move down our living room, past my head and into the darkened dining room, where it then seemingly vanished. The whole process lasted roughly 10 seconds, but it was long enough for both me and my dad to notice it. Roughly five seconds after the anomaly vanished, my dad started to laugh and then proceeded to say, Did you just see that? 
I said yes, but I wasn't laughing as the whole situation genuinely creeped me out. My dad just simply laughed and said, that was really weird. My mum then overheard my dad over the volume of the television and asked what he had found so weird. We both then told her exactly what we had witnessed. Needless to say, she definitely did not believe us and just presumed we were winding her up. I've still not forgotten about this incident, despite it happening nearly almost a year ago, and I know that it also creeps my dad out whenever it comes up in conversation. It's also really important to mention that both my mum and dad do not believe in the supernatural, and it would be hard for you to find a bigger sceptic than my dad. And despite both me and my dad trying to find a reasonable or scientific explanation behind what we saw, we still have no idea what or who we saw that evening. As mentioned within the previous story, both of my parents are massive sceptics of the paranormal and will always dismiss any conversation in reference to it. I personally find this really strange as my mum has told me several stories in the past of which she has no logical explanation for but yet she still refuses to acknowledge any theory that could include anything even remotely supernatural. And this is one of her stories. Around three or four years before I was born, my mum and dad bought their first house together. It was a small, semi-detached house in an area not far from my hometown of Bristol in the UK. They lived in the house for roughly four years before moving to the house we now live in as they did not want to raise a child in the area they were previously residing in. The house they lived in, from what I have heard, was extremely creepy, and a fair amount of unexplained happenings occurred throughout the time that they lived there. A really creepy aspect of their old house is that towards the end of their garden was the old structure of an archway entrance to the field behind. Now what makes this eerie is that the field behind was and still is a graveyard and an old church. Before the house they lived in was constructed, this archway acted as an entrance to the graveyard, of which many of the caskets would have passed through en route to burial. One night, however, while living in this house, the bedside phone started to ring in my parents' bedroom. Bearing in mind that this was around 2 or 3 a.m., they were surprised that the phone was ringing. I believe that my mum decided to ignore the call and proceeded to go back to sleep. That was until around 20 minutes later when the phone started to ring again. At this point, my mum started to worry as she knew that her grandmother lived alone and would frequently call the house if she needed anything. As a result of this, my mum decided to answer the call this time round. Answering the phone, my mum recalled there being no noise for around four or five seconds and then someone started to heavily breathe down the phone. Despite my mum asking her grandmother's name down the phone several times, not once did anyone reply. After the call, my mum was understandably distressed by the manner of the conversation, or lack thereof. Despite her telling my dad that she felt that she needed to visit her grandmother's house to see if she was okay, my dad eventually calmed her down and persuaded her to go back to sleep and wait until the morning, as he expected that my mother's grandmother had accidentally dialed the house number. Eventually, the morning came, and as soon as my mum felt it was appropriate, she decided to call my mother and explained how her grandmother had called her phone in the middle of the night, but there was no one on the other end. My mum's mother then calmly replied by saying, Your grandmother is not at home this weekend. She's away in Devon visiting her cousin. Despite my mum claiming that it doesn't, 
I know for a fact that this really scared my mum and that she was genuinely creeped out by the whole ordeal. Around two or three weeks later, my mum and dad seemingly forgot about the event. However, that was until there was a phone bill came through the post that month and sure enough, there it was. The phone call from my grandmother's house was recorded on the phone bill and the details behind the call were clearly listed out on the document. Incoming call, 2.10am. Duration, 5 minutes and 11 seconds. Just FYI, I don't know the specific duration of the phone call or the time of which it was received, so I have estimated both in reference to what my mum has told me over the years. I also cannot stress enough how important it is to remember that both my mum and dad are massive sceptics of the paranormal and both still claim to this day that the phone call definitely did happen and that they have no explanation behind it. Let's start with the mist because that is so strange and to happen at such a like innocuous time where everyone's sitting around watching TV and then this mist appears in the corner. I'm so glad that somebody else was there to see it though. I always feel like really happy for people when they write in and somebody else has witnessed the event like their dad or their sibling or their friend or whoever it is that somebody else has been able to say did you see that because at least it verifies that something happened whatever that something was. When people see mists like do we think it's a spirit or an entity or some sort of residual energy does the color of the mist determine what it was and you know what if I was your mom I would also be terrified of that phone call in the middle of the night and not for paranormal reasons because I would be thinking was there a human being in that house in the middle of the night who made that phone call if the grandmother was away in Devon I'd be less worried about the ghostly implications and more worried about the human implications I think and story number four comes from Anonymous. When I was seven years old, something happened to me that damaged me mentally and emotionally. I couldn't sleep by myself until I was around 13 or 14 years old. At the age of seven, my parents' relationship began to get rocky. Not to get into the details, but I was too young to understand what was going on. My mother would always watch ghost videos and mess with online Ouija boards and fortune tellers and my dad would always warn my mother that she would see something that she wouldn't like. My mother just laughed it off and called my dad paranoid. Every so often, my mom would force me and my sisters to watch ghost videos because she thought it was funny. She was evil for doing what she did. A mother is supposed to protect her children and comfort them at all times. One night, my mom was on the computer and called me into the room as I was walking by. As soon as I noticed she was watching a ghost video, I began to walk out quickly, but she managed to keep me there by threatening to take my toys and PlayStation away. She was watching a live ghost video of these two guys at some old out-of-commission prison, walking around trying to capture a ghost on camera. The two men in the video found a room where they believed to be the room they used to electrocute people to death. The way the video was set up was they had night vision so the video was green and black with a sound bar for extra effects. The guys stayed as quiet as they could to avoid triggering the sound bar. They were just walking around waiting for something to happen. One of the men began flipping the non-working light switch and made a gesture like they were being electrocuted. Nothing happened. But after about a minute, the voice bar began to move violently and a face popped up and screamed at us. My mom was trying to turn the computer off but couldn't because she was panicking. But the power in our apartment completely shut off shortly after. 
My mom darted out of the room, leaving me there frozen with fear. As I regained my composure, I slowly walked out of the room where I found my mom crying in the dark. I walked to where my mom was and held her until my dad got home from work. I was scared and speechless, not knowing what the hell had just happened. About a minute before my dad got home, the lights turned on and things suddenly felt like nothing was wrong. There was a weird feeling of relief. My dad unlocked the door, walked in and sat down to take his boots off without saying a word. Without looking, he asked my mom, so what the hell did you see? My mom denied she saw anything and said we thought someone was trying to get through the window near the alley side of the apartment. My dad walked into the room and saw that the computer chair was knocked over and knew right away. It was never really spoken about again, but that was the beginning where we started to experience paranormal events. Growing up I thought I always saw a little ghost girl, but I was pretty good at trying to ignore those things. About 20 years later, my eldest sister randomly talked about how she saw a little girl, and my body immediately froze with fear. We began talking about certain things and I realised that I wasn't the only one. My mother was always into weird stuff like that, and now I know why two years prior to the night that scarred me, I would hide from my mom in the closet when she would walk around the house angry. It just seemed like she wasn't herself. To this day I have nightmares about my mom being possessed, and I also have nightmares about that apartment that we used to live in. Did my mom bring something into the apartment and the house that we used to live in? My sisters and I matched up a lot of stuff that happened over the years where we lived. And I gotta say, it wasn't all just in my head. Look, I'm just gonna say this from the off. It's never okay to make your kids watch really scary stuff. Like when they're teenagers or when they get to an age where they can make a decision about whether they want to watch like certain scary movies or whatever, then fine. But it's never okay to make them watch ghost videos or scary videos just to, to make them scared. That's not cool. And you know what? Your dad was right. If you keep pushing those things like Ouija boards, psychics, whatever, all of those things, fortune tellers, eventually you're going to hear something that you don't want to hear or you're going to see something that you don't want to see. So you have to be a bit prepared for that, I think. And story number five comes from Tom. When my dad was younger and still in school, he decided along with a group of his friends that during the summer holidays, they would go on a trip around the UK and stay in various hostels, get drunk and just generally have a laugh. Towards the end of their trip, they stayed in a particularly spooky hostel and decided it would be fun to try a Ouija board. It started out fun as they were not taking it too seriously and were basically just trying to scare each other until it took a rather more sinister turn. My dad claims that they got in contact with a little girl named Alice who was friendly but very worried for their safety and kept warning them of danger. She said she had died in the hostel and kept repeating these words over and over to them. Beware, Lord of the Dance, for... And saying that she couldn't stay and she had to go. Eventually, all contact stopped, and they were all pretty freaked out, but were able to brush it off as the alcohol was keeping them brave and neither of them could be sure that it wasn't just one of them fucking with the rest of the group for a laugh. Two weeks passed, and they had all returned back to school for the new term except for one of them, who no one had heard from since they had all got back from their trip. This was before the days of mobile phones, so you couldn't just text someone to see how they were, and my dad just assumed he was bunking off sick or something. After a few days, the boy came into school, but he was very different, white as a sheet, nervous as hell, and would erratically start panicking in class for what seemed like no reason. 
He told my dad that since the day in the hostel when they had all done the Ouija board, he was being followed around continuously by a tall man who would just stand there staring at him in a very intense and intimidating manner. Everywhere he went, the tall man would be there never taking his eyes off him. He would ride his bike to school and wherever he looked, he would see him standing there on the street. He would freak out in class too, as the tall man would be standing there in the corner of the classroom staring at him, and no one else could see it. His panic attacks and erratic behaviour got so bad that he was eventually taken out of school so he could get help. But a month later, sadly, he took his own life. My dad's friend had been more vulnerable and susceptible to the supernatural than the rest of the lads in the group, and as a result an evil spirit had attached itself to him and wouldn't let go. This obviously messed my dad up for a long time, and he made me promise that I would never mess around with stuff like that. Every sleepover party that I went to as a teenager, I would have to leave when they decided to have a laugh and do a Ouija board, and I was glad that my dad shared his experience with me so I could make that informed decision. One of the things that kept playing on his mind was that the spirit of the little girl kept saying to them, Beware Lord of the Dance 4. It didn't make much sense to him, and he needed to figure out what it meant, so we decided to look up the lyrics to the hymn, and there it was, in all its terror. Lord of the Dance verse 4 I danced on the Friday when the sky turned black. It's hard to dance with the devil on your back. I went to several weddings with my dad throughout my teenage years as he was a wedding photographer and I would come along and carry bags and help him out. Every single time without fail that hymn would be sung in church. His eyes would water and you could physically see his body react to it. Every hair on his arms standing to attention. That was all the proof I needed from him, and since then I have always approached all things supernatural with the utmost respect. Well, that's absolutely terrifying. And the thing is, you could say that it was like a story that your dad told to scare you and that he had he had ideas about the Ouija board and didn't want you to play, right? So you could easily say that. That's why he told you that story, he really wanted to freak you out. But I'm sorry, having that bodily reaction every time you hear that song where his eyes started to water, the hairs on his arms stood on end, like something happened to him in relation to that song. And it seems like a pretty elaborate story to make up as to why that song would give you such a visceral reaction. Oh, that is scary. And that poor, poor child, whatever happened, obviously deeply affected him to the point where he felt the need to take his own life. So that is, that story is just terrifying all round. And story number six comes from Jenna. I just listened to mini episode four where you were discussing never dreaming about your real bedroom. Unfortunately, I do this quite often actually. They're always absolutely terrifying. I started referring to them as my inception dreams. They occur when I'm exhausted or emotionally drained. Since they happen with regularity, many of them have become a blur. The first one though is the one that stuck with me. I still lived with my parents at the time, as I was still in high school. My room was a long rectangular room on the back of the house, facing a field with an apple tree. I had blood-red walls which were painted on swirls of chunky stucco. The door was on the far left and my bed was on the far right. Next to the bed on the short end wall was a utility door concealing the house's water heater. Oddly enough, the house was not built with closets, so a wardrobe was to the left. 
Around this time, I was about to graduate and I must not have been getting much sleep. When I'm exhausted and fall asleep, I know what's about to happen. My head feels drunk like I'm plastered, but I rarely drink. My arms feel heavy, my breathing slows, and then I feel weightless. If I'm not able to rouse myself, I will always go into an inception dream. These dreams are never fun or interesting. A good 85% of my dreams involve something trying to attack me. I lost track of how many times I woke up. 10, 20, hell, it could have been more. It felt like forever. I can remember waking up or thinking I'd woken up in my bed and thinking, is it over yet? What if I never really wake up? How many more times? Is this my life now? When I was younger, I learned I could wake myself up if I realised I was dreaming. No matter what batshit crazy thing was going on in the dream, if I closed my eyes, breathed deeply and forcibly rolled my eyes upwards, I would eventually wake up. In this dream, every time I used my trick, I would wake up. Or so I thought. The first several times were just me, alone. Inexplicably, something was always off. Dark spots in the room, furniture I no longer owned, a closet at the foot of my bed. Eventually, I started seeing people that I knew or pets that were no longer alive. Every time I noticed an inconsistency, I panicked. There was something ominous about it. One that stands out involved my boyfriend at the time. He walked in, sat on the bed, smiled and just stared. I kept asking what he was doing there, but he just smiled. An overwhelming fear hit me. It was then that I realised I couldn't move. I had sleep paralysis in my dream. I started realising I was still dreaming if I couldn't move. I was able to wake up a couple of times. I'd wake up for a split second on my stomach. I tried desperately to lift my head and crawl onto my hands and knees. I managed to lift my head slightly and inch my hands up to lift my weight. But then I'd crash right back into the dream. In the dream, I was always on my back. When I finally succeeded in rolling my eyes open, I jumped up onto my knees and leaned on my hands. I stayed like this for minutes, paranoid that I'd lull myself back into dreaming if I relaxed. I kept looking around to make sure I was truly awake this time. The only thing that convinced me it was indeed over was picking up my phone and scrolling through social media. Now that I have a better sleep schedule with my current job, I don't have this problem as often. The only constant about my inception dreams are that I'm in my current bedroom at the time. That sounds so terrifying, like I honestly don't think I could cope with it. I don't think I could cope with waking up thinking I was awake and then realising, oh my god, I'm not awake, I'm still in my dream. Waking up again, realising, oh my god, I'm not awake, I'm still in my dream. I would be absolutely petrified. I'd be petrified to go asleep. Is it? Is it just another form of sleep paralysis, I wonder? Like, in a way that you're sort of aware, but you're obviously not fully aware of what's going on around you like it's just so terrifying thank you so much for listening to today's episode thank you to jenna sarah rianne sam anonymous and tom for sending in your stories remember the last story came from august the 12th 2021 and if you would like to learn anything about real life ghost stories podcast you could do so by checking out real life ghost stories podcast.com and on that note i shall see you next time <laughs>